Good morning, everyone. Are you ready? You ready? I'm telling you, this is good. This is better than good. See, we just sang one of the all-time, for the last hundred years plus, beloved truths that comes from Matthew 7. After Jesus taught the Sermon on the Mount, he said, if you want to know how to live with a solid rock, that no matter when the winds blow, the storms come, you will not fall apart. That's the life I want, right? It's called living in His abundance. It's called living in His victory. It's called not being tossed to and fro. And, and as for me, I've been tossed to and fro far too much in life. But what we studied last Sunday and what we're going to continue to apply this Sunday, you'll see it's why whenever... You fall to temptation, this is why. It's not because there's a devil, and it's not because you live in a sinful world, and it's not because you have a sinful nature. Now, those are three huge factors that are against all of us. But when you fall to temptation, it's not because of those three things. Uh, when you get discouraged and distracted and defeated, it's not because of your circumstances. When you can't forgive someone else that's deeply hurt you, it's not because of your wound. It's because you haven't learned yet what we looked at last week. See, we're saved by grace. We're kept by grace. We're instructed by grace. We grow by grace. Everything is by God's unmerited favor. That's grace. Right? We can never do anything apart from God's grace. And so we looked at, what did we look at last week that changes everything? From living like a victim to living in the victory of Christ. It's living in the grace of, it starts with a D. Thank you. That was a hard impacting message last week, wasn't it? So that's why I'm going to give it a run again today. Now, if you were visiting last week, you get to look at your notes. If you were, how many of you were here last week? Do not look at your notes till I tell you. Now, the advantage in first service is I can look pretty good and I immediately see, saw all these folks sneaking a look and I said, stop that back there on the back row. You, you thought I didn't see you. Now, we want to make our brains burn right now. Because see, living the victorious life in Christ is not living it in here. Like I tell the men often, when we have a great Bible study and God sets down on us and there's a lot of emotion and inspiration and man, we're charged. I say, well, this is the easy part, men. Now the war zone, you're leaving this class. You don't live your Christianity in here. Hopefully you're encouraged. Hopefully you're equipped. Hopefully you're inspired. Hopefully God works in you, but you live your Christian life as soon as you go out the door. So that's why don't take a peek and, and we're going to repeat this several times this morning. But we got to get this down so when I'm saying, okay, what is that discipline? That you'll be able to nail it. Now, last week, first of all, we defined discipline. And, and uh, on the PowerPoint, you can relax till we get to the notes. This is not in the PowerPoint. But we said discipline is what? Biblical def definition for discipline. What is discipline? Self-control under God's control. If you didn't write that down last week, write that down. When we talk about these are the four disciplines of grace that move us from hearing to doing, from knowing to experiencing, 
Because today, in about a 15-minute study, I'm going to show you, it just wasn't Israel that was double-minded and unstable. The disciples that loved Jesus, that left everything, they continued to be double-minded and unstable in all their ways. Until after the resurrection, after the 40 days, and after the filling of the Holy Spirit. Before then, they're constantly double-minded and unstable. Okay, so discipline is my self-control. And right in there, Galatians 5, 22, 23, see it's the work, the fruit of the Spirit, that I can even have self-control. Because my flesh doesn't want any self-control. That's what gets us all in trouble. Just know your flesh never wants self-control. So self-control is actually a God work of grace in my life that I can begin to exercise self-control. And then it's self-control under the control, that is the authority of His Word. Teenagers, if you never heard another message from Pastor Phil, and many of you have heard hundreds, this is the most important. Now I know I've said that to you many days, because on that day I'm teaching, to me it's the most important. But this just captures all the Bible. In fact, I've already had several parents say, Pastor, we're going to say this to husband and wife every day. Okay, we're saved by grace, but we live by these four disciplines of grace. And I promise you, it will lift you to another level of living in your experience as husband and wife, as parent-children. Now, once we understand that discipline is my self-control wrought by God to live under the control of His Word, the first discipline was what? Say it. Humility. And what is the definition of humility from God's Word? Philippians 2.8. It is what? I lost you, didn't I? It is obedience. Remember? Philippians 2.8. Jesus humbled Himself unto death because why? He was obedient. See, don't think, men, that humility is weakness. Humility is not a personality trait. Humility is you've come to the conviction wrought by God that His Word is perfect truth, so come hell, high water, you're going to obey Him. You're not going to listen to your feelings. You're not going to listen to your circumstances. Students, you're not going to look at peer pressure. You're, you're not going to look at your past, your present, or your future. You're just going to look at the Word of God and say, as, as Joshua did, this is what he was saying in, in uh, Joshua 24, 15. He said what? Israel, you got a problem. And you know what your problem is? You've never become humble. You've seen all these miracles. You praise God when we're worshiping, but you've never become humble. So Josh said it this way. As for me and my household, we will what? What he's really saying, we will humble ourselves before God. That's humility. You know what to change your life? If you go home today and get around your kitchen table, or if you go out, sit across the table, and daddy, if you're the daddy, or mama, if you're the single mama, you say, as for me and my household, you say it to the whole family, we will humble ourselves before God. Period, exclamation mark. And when we get confused and start responding out of our emotions or our circumstances, someone stand up and say, no, as for me and our household, we will humble ourselves. That's obedience to the Word of God. Now, that's the first discipline. One more time. The first discipline is? And humility is? Obedience. We'll do it that way. First discipline is humility. Second word, and remember, it's obedience to the Word of God. Second discipline, the way of the cross. You're doing better. Now, don't peek. Make your brain burn. It's the way of the cross. Now, what's the way of the cross? We quoted Luke 9.23, and it says what? Jesus said, anyone that's going to come after me, let him. Did you get that? 
Say it again. The old flesh hates that word. Deny yourself. This is why for years, in my 20s, in my 30s, in my 40s, so often I would preach heaven down on Sunday morning by God's grace. But because things had gone on in the life of the church that morning that really discouraged me Sunday afternoon, I would be double-minded and unstable in all my ways. You know what that is? Discouraged. And so I'd be taking my walk. When I get discouraged, I'd take a walk and I'm talking. You know, all the neighbors say, there's that crazy preacher. He walks and talks. But I'm, I'm rehearsing the Word of God, and I'm saying, Father, I know I shouldn't be double-minded right now. Here I preach victory on Sunday morning because all these circumstances that I don't like, I'm unstable in all my ways. Because here I preach victory, and I'm not walking in victory. Your Word says I will always walk in victory. And I know, Father, I'm living beneath my privilege. And finally... Finally, if you're having trouble with this, come put your arms around me. I'll encourage you. I've had this struggle all my life. And he would say, you're not doing first base. When I said, Philip, when you were seven years old, when I called you into Christian ministry at 14, all through your college years, what would I say when you were having a pity party, when you were feeling sorry for yourself? He said, first base, Philip, is if you will come after me, you must... Deny yourself. You're not denying yourself. You're looking at your expectations. They're not being fulfilled. Deny yourself. Oh man, I struggled in my 20s with forgiveness. Because I'd been hurt deeply. And God said, you know why you're struggling. You think it's because you've been wounded so deeply. No, Philip, go back to first base. If anyone will come after me, you memorized it, son, when you were seven years old. Get it from your head to your heart. If anyone will come after me, he must. I'm going to get you yet. If anyone will come after me, he will. Why do we all struggle so? Because we don't want to deny ourselves. And finally, when he broke through, isn't it a mystery how we can hear the truth, hear the truth, hear the truth, hear the truth. But finally, he moves it from our head into our being. And we say, praise God. The Christian life is getting delivered from that old sensual self that always thinks it's about him and he's always offended and he's hurt. And Die, boy! That Christ can live. That's why we dip them in the water, under the water. They say, you're dead, man. You're dead, woman. Quit acting like you're alive. Because your flesh stinks. Your selfishness stinks. Your pride stinks. Always men having to have the last word with your wife. Ladies, it what? Come on, you bunch of puny women. It stinks. Right? Right. Okay, that's the second discipline. You can't enjoy this. Kind of hit the guy by you and say, wake up, this is really good. You can enjoy this. Okay, the first discipline is humility, and that is? Obedience. Second discipline is, and that is, deny yourself. Because you can't take up your cross till you deny yourself. So just remember to deny yourself. And you're not denying yourself to deny yourself. You're denying yourself to choose Christ. Third discipline. It is, and why do we need perseverance? Because life is hard. Life is disappointing. Life is discouraging. you got a devil against you. you got a sinful world against you. And by the way, they're not hearing this Bible study. And you got your old sinful nature. 
that it's like a 700-pound gorilla in your way, and he says, don't listen to pastors. He screams, let me have my way. That's the sinful nature. So you better learn hupomeno. And what does hupomeno mean? Abiding under the pressure of your circumstances, your feelings, your challenges, whatever. And that is, I'm going to be faithful to the glory of God. Because I've figured out, when I'm faithful, there's no regret. And the last discipline is what? Didn't do too good on that one. What's the last discipline? And what is single minus? I forget what's behind me, and I press on toward the mark of Jesus that I'm going to please Him. I'm going to please Him. That's what faithful stewardship is. I'm going to, one day before God, by His grace, be probably prostrate before Him and say, hopefully He'll say by His grace, well, little boy, you were slow, you were stubborn, you sure stumbled a lot, but by my grace I worked in you that you realized that when you got saved you were not your own and you would live obedient to my word. You would live, Lord, denying yourself and letting me by the Holy Spirit capture your life, control your life, walk in the Spirit, and you never quit. You thought you were going to quit a million times, but you said, I'd rather die than quit. And you finished, and well done, good and faithful little boy. Come in. You that have been faithful over little, let me show you what you're going to get to do now. To my honor and glory. Don't you want that in your life? I do. Because God's put it in my heart. You know, I'm writing a chapter on stewardship right now. That's where I am in my book. I'm on chapter 9. I only have 12 to go. And you know how? Perseverance. Ronnie can tell you. It takes perseverance to write a book. By the way, it takes perseverance to faithfully parent, doesn't it, parents? Don't you get tired sometimes saying the same truthful things over and over with gentleness and respect? It takes perseverance to be married and love your wife and your wife respect your husband because we're not always lovable and respectable, right? But as I was praying, Lord, what story, because I'm kind of telling my life, is God's thought, what story, Lord, could I have that I don't just write a biblical study on? What's, what's an illustration? And all of a sudden, the Lord reminded me, I never thought of this in my life, but boy, it was powerful. See, when I was born, I was born spiritually blind, right? All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But I was also born nearly physically blind. But I didn't know it. The doctor didn't know it. My parents didn't know it. And I just grew up coping with being blind. I learned when they turned that thing on. We got TVs, by the way, in the 50s. So I was born in 51. And, and when they had those TVs, I noticed that all the chairs, you know, were back here and they would turn it on and people would laugh and what. But as a little boy, I remember, I couldn't see anything on the screen. So I would just get up and I would walk up and I learned to watch TV like this. But for whatever reason, my parents never thought, well, Philip's blind. Because I learned to cope with my blindness. Kind of like people in their sin. Even though they're miserable, they can learn to cope in their sin. And, and then, the first time there was ever an announcement that Philip's blind is I started taking piano lessons when I was five. And if any of you have ever seen a, a primer piano book, they make the notes about that big. I mean, you can see them from a block away. But the only way I could see my teacher noticed that little Philip would press his head right toward the music. And I remember when she said to my mom, you know, I think Philip needs glasses. Duh. 
But for whatever reasons, my mom didn't do anything. Now, I wasn't abused. She cared for me. I never missed a meal, but she never took me to the doctor. So I started first grade. And you know how the teacher draws the, the letters and, and the numbers? I never could see a thing. So anytime there was a break in the class, I would walk up to the blackboard and I would be up there looking and the teacher would notice. You didn't clean your ear out this morning, so. No, I'm just teasing. And, and she said to, to my mom, called my mom up and said, Philip definitely needs glasses. He's blind. You can see him during the break. He'll walk up and he gets his face right up on the blackboard. He can't see. But you know what? I made straight A's. So I guess because I was making straight A's and I was learning, I would practice with my face right up against the music because I was doing pretty good, and that's kind of like sinners. If you think you're doing pretty good, but you stay blind. And I went all the way through the first grade. Made straight A's, but blind. But you know what turned it all around for me? See, in Arkansas, one of the most important events in Arkansas when you're a little boy is when you turn six or seven and you get what for all of you Southerners? What do you get when you're six or seven? That this is going to blow some of you women away. When you're six and seven, at least this was in the 50s, what do you get? You get a shotgun. How would you like to give your six-year-old a shotgun? I was six years old, got a 410 shotgun, and I got to go hunting with my dad and my older brother. And we'd go squirrel hunting in the fall. I mean, it was as more important students than getting your driver's license. Because when you're six, you're not thinking of driving. Because in Arkansas, you get to do that when you're 10 anyway. They grow them up fast down there. I was growing a truck, driving a truck in the fields of Arkansas when I was 10 years old, racing my brother. It's better than riding a horse, let me tell you something. So anyway, we go squirrel hunting, and here's how you do it. You go, and my dad, see, he knew all these farmers because he was a horticulturist, the county agent. So we would go out, and it was really fun when they had this registered squirrel dog. And so the way it works, you go out, and the dog takes off running. Now, when he picks up the scent of a squirrel, he trees it, you know, and then he just goes nuts. He acts like the world's going to come to an end. And so what do you do? These two kids, I'm six, my brother's eight, my dad, we're running through the woods, falling down over vines. How we didn't kill each other, I don't know. It's called the grace and mercy of God. And we get finally to the tree, because the reason why you want to beat your big brother to the tree is the first time sometimes that pure little terrified squirrel of the dog, and he's got four shotguns after him. It's called sport and hunting. Think of that. It's called insanity. Anyway, you get there, and the squirrel, of course, they learn. They hide, they lay down, and sometimes these huge oak trees in Arkansas, and we'd walk around the tree and say, where's that guy? Where's that guy? And the farmer and my dad, usually they'd say, oh, I saw his tail. You know how their little tails do like that? I, I see him. And because I was the youngest, the farmer usually would say, Philip, Come around here, buddy. You can shoot first. And I'd look up there. I never could see a squirrel. Where? Mr. Jones, I don't see him. Well, son, just point your gun in this direction and fire. There's lots of shots. And let me tell you, that was serious. My dad thought, I can't have, it doesn't matter if he can't see his music. It doesn't matter if he can't see the blackboard, but he's got to see that squirrel. And they took me to the eye doctor. I still remember it. It was right before I was seven years old. But I can remember it like it was yesterday. 
Other than getting saved, it was the most important event in my life when I was really growing up because I was blind. He put those glasses on me, and even though they were ugly and big and horn-rimmed, remember how they made them in the 50s? It, for you young ones, just go to a museum and you'll see how they were. They were horrible, but I didn't care. I could see. I looked across the doctor's office and I said, Mama, my mom was, Mama, I can see the pictures on the wall. I can see the colors. I can see red, blue. I had never seen colors. I walked out. I just kept saying, Mama, I can see, I can see that shrub's green there. It was just a blob. I, I walked outside. I can still remember. I looked down the street and I said, Mama, I can see the stoplight two blocks away. I always wondered because I would drive under it and look up because people would stop and go, I think, how do they know to do that? Mama, it's red and, and green and yellow. Mama, I can see people's faces. I'd never seen a face. Cars would drive by. Now I knew why people waved. You could actually see the face. I'd never seen a face. And I use that as an analogy of blind people that never learn the joy of being a faithful steward. They learn to live without saying, I discipline my life, that I will faithfully manage everything God gives me because I see God and I see His Word and I will trust and obey for there's no other way. Isn't that good? I'm telling you, it's good. It's better than good. It's called victory in Jesus. Called victory in Jesus. See, it's like I said last week. I want to preach this message to pastors' conferences and uh, to professors and administrators, guys, because I can tell you in my life, and I've lived long enough, I know thousands, literally thousands of pastors, and I know hundreds of professors, but I can tell you most of them, by far the majority of them, do not live with these four disciplines. See, they know the Word, they love the Word, they love God, they've been called in ministry, but they're just like the disciples. And they're like I was for years. They're unstable and double-minded. See, just look now at your message notes. Look at your message notes. What I've just said is on your left side there. And I want you to put those to memory, those four disciplines of God's grace. See, our self-control under the Lord's control. And then what we did last week for you that couldn't be with us, we applied those disciplines to our vision statement. Let's say our vision statement down there at the bottom. We are surrendered to be a dynamic community of faith which is endeavoring to impact the world by experiencing, living, modeling, and communicating authentic faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Increasingly, our intention is to become fully a worshiping, caring, and sharing community exalting the Savior, a learning community equipping the saints, and an influential community evangelizing the world. Now let's apply it. Circle the word surrendered. See, we are surrendered. Now, what discipline of those four must you have to surrender? Humility, okay? So write humility above surrendered. Because see, if I don't come to say I'm going to obey God's word, then I, I won't be surrendered. I'll fight it every day. Now, circle the next phrase to be a dynamic community of faith. Now, the dynamic is God, not us. The faith is obeying the Word of God. So what discipline is that? The way of the cross. See, I'm going to deny myself, and so I'm going to trust and obey no other way. 
And then the next phrase, which is endeavoring to impact the world by experiencing, living, modeling, and communicating authentic faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Circle that. And what discipline is that? You only got two left. Perseverance, because life is hard. Life is disappointing. You have disagreements with church members. By the way, this is the perfect recipe for every marriage, for every family, for every organization, certainly for every church family. See, I don't quit when I don't like you. I don't quit on loving you and being patient and kind when I disagree with you. I persevere. I abide under the Word of God, under the Spirit of God. That's a discipline. I don't do it because I feel like it. I do it because I'm not my own. I bought with a price. I belong to God. And then that last part, circle that word. Increasingly, our intention is to become circle fully. You know how you become fully wherever you are? See, every one of us today are in a different place in the journey of growing in the grace and knowledge of Christ. We're all in different places, but you just fully. That is, you fully is single-mindedness. You just say, Lord, this is the first day of the rest of my life. God is the God of new beginnings, because that's grace. God is the, the God of new starts. That's grace. And so you don't worry about where your neighbor is on the left or right to you. You just say, single-minded, I'm going with God. Now, do you have those four disciplines? Let's just say them, because as we go through this text, I'm going to be asking you, you're going to fire it out of there. So the first discipline is, and humility is, obedience. Second discipline, and the way of the cross is, and the third discipline is, and a perseverance is, uh, abiding under pressure, being faithful. We'll call it that, being faithful, all right? We'll limit our word. And then the fourth discipline is, and what is single-mindedness? Please God. Paul says in 2 Corinthians, he says, this is my goal, and it's to please God. This is my aim in life. See, come hell, high water, whatever, I'm going to please God. Students, do you have it? See, that takes care of all peer pressure. I'm going to please God. I don't care what Leroy and Selma are going to do. I'm going to please God. All right, here we go. Now, write down there the bottom bullet. Without knowing and applying these four disciplines in our daily lives, we will not know the joy of living out our vision statement. See, without knowing and applying these four disciplines, and they're all disciplines of God's grace. In our daily lives, we will not know the joy of living out our vision statement. Now, I want to show you this is exactly where the disciples, just like we looked at Israel last year, or last week, in Jeremiah 7, and they were no better than their forefathers 500 years later with all the miracles of God. I'm going to show you how the disciples, they just continue to live double-minded and unstable. And you can write that in 1A. See, without these four disciplines... Jesus' disciples, Roman numeral 1, capital A, were often still double-minded and unstable. And we get that verse, James 1, verse 8. See, you don't want to get inspired in this service and then go home and have a pity party or a panic attack or treat each other ugly or be impatient or unkind or unforgiving. That's unstable. See, you're here and we're singing the praises of God. We're worshiping God. We're saying, I agree with this. Well, then when you go out and don't live it, that's being unstable. 
And, and you don't have to think, well, my family member, my husband, my wife, my child, my dad, my mom are sure unstable. Hey, we've all been unstable and double-minded, right? Okay, so don't worry about who's been the most. It's like the Bible says we've all what? Sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We're not here to condemn each other. We're here to learn the Word of God, apply it, and say, this is the first day of the rest of my life. Now, let me just show you something. We can only spend about 10 minutes in this because where I'm going to take you because we're going to transition from vision statement today to the value of values. So turn to Mark chapter 6. Mark chapter 6. Now, in Mark chapter 6, Hopefully, all of you receive an email that Stacy and I do every Thursday, Friday. And I kind of review the week and what's coming, and I try to get you ready for this study. And do you remember the you that read the email? What did it say? Read Mark 6 to prepare yourself for this study. And I'll do that each week. Now, for you that didn't read Mark 6, read it when you get home this afternoon. We don't have time to read it now, but let me just point out some things. Get your ink pen and go, and this is not on the PowerPoint, go Mark 6 and just mark verse 7. It says, and he called the twelve, and they began to send them out two by two. Now this was the first missionary trip that Jesus sent his twelve apostles out that he wasn't with them. And look what happened. Jump down to verse 12. So they went out and proclaimed that people should repent. They went out preaching. They weren't listening to Jesus. They were doing it. And they cast out many demons and anointed with oil, many who were sick and healed them. That is, they saw the power of God mightily moving in and through their lives. Well then, verses 14 to verses 29 tells the story of how John the Baptist was beheaded. And then we pick up at verse 30, mark it, because that's where the apostles return to Jesus, and they're telling him all these mighty, powerful works of God that he had done and how they had taught the Word of God with power and authority. So he knows they are tired. They're weary. They need a little refreshment. So he says, let's come away, and we'll rest a little bit. We'll retreat a little bit. Well, what happens is the crowds heard Jesus is going over here, so what happened? 5,000 men and their families run around, and they get there. Well, that's where the next story, you can just mark in your Scriptures, that down there, you'll just keep reading in verse 32, that the crowds come, and remember, this is fifteen to 30,000 people. 5,000 men and their families, and they didn't have birth control back then. So if they were healthy, they had babies. So if you take 5,000 men, you're looking at a crowd that's coming of 15, 20 to 50,000 people. I mean, this is overwhelming. And then you know what Jesus says? He says, by the way, Jesus saw the people with compassion. You'll see people with however and whatever you're filled with. Now, the disciples are about to be unstable and double-minded. They've just been out on a great, powerful mission, and all of a sudden, they're unstable. And they say, Lord, we can't feed these people. Hey, if Jesus says, feed them, I think you can feed them. 
But they, they miss out. All they see is their circumstance. They don't see Almighty God power. So they become unstable, and they say, Lord, we don't have anything. You know, that's how a lot of us become unstable. We have great circumstances. We say, we don't have anything. What's the whole point of Christianity? He's the vine. You're the branches. He that abideth in me bringeth forth much fruit. For without me, you can do a little? No, nothing. So they blow it. But Jesus, and by the way, write these references down. See, this miracle is so important. God inspired, inspired Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. The, the, the miracle, you can read about it in Matthew 14, in Luke 9, and in John 6. Now, in John 6 is the account where the little boy is there, and Philip goes, you know, and they find the little boy with the little food. Mama fixed him a little lunch, a little bread, a little fish, and Jesus takes it and he multiplies it. And then the disciples are having a big time because they love, just like us, a miracle. And remember after they had fed everybody and the disciples got to feed them, how much did they have left over? Twelve baskets, so that means what? A basket for each apostle just to sit there and stare and say, you know, when are you going to learn? When you have nothing, that's good, because God will meet your supply. And that's where we're going to pick up the story. We're going to pick up the story in verse 45. I want you to circle the word. I hope you have your Bibles open this morning. Circle the word immediately. He made. Now, why do you have to make someone do something? Because they what? Don't want to do something. Now, think about it. This is double-minded and unstable in all your ways. The disciples wanted to send the multitudes away. But once Jesus did the miracle, they want to stay and hoop it up and high-five. And Jesus said, no, you dumb bunnies, get in the boat. You're still caught up with the miracle instead of the Lord God of all the miracles. So get in the boat and get out of here. That's what it says immediately. If you're just looking for miracles in your life instead of learning to apply the disciplines of grace and praise God and honor God and obey God, you're going to always be resenting that. You're always going to be upset about that. Instead of just obeying God. So read on there. Immediately he made his disciples get in the boat. By the way, at the end of these six verses you're going to see, they even had a hard heart over that. They were ticked off. They were mad at Jesus. Are you ticked off or mad at God because He hadn't done what you wanted Him to do? Well, let me tell you, the good news is He loves you and He'll keep working with you, just like He worked with these disciples. Immediately, He made His disciples get into the boat and go before Him to the other side. Write it in your message notes. See, without these disciplines, Jesus' disciples were double-minded and unstable. And number one, when they heard, when they heard what he told them, see, unless we daily walk in these disciplines of grace, humility, the way of the cross, perseverance, single-mindedness, 
we will not understand what Jesus tells us, and we will resist and resent. And Christianity is not very much fun then. If you're just having to trust and obey God, and He's making you do things all the time, Christianity is not abundant for you. It's not sweet. It's not victorious. See, look at number two. Write it in. What they saw. See, when you're double-minded and unstable, like the disciples, they really struggled in what they saw. Let's just read the entire passage. And then you can fill out the rest of these answers. We do that quickly. See, immediately he made, I'll start back at verse 45. Immediately he made his disciples get in the boat and go before him to the other side, to Bethsaida, while he dismissed the crowd. And after he had taken leave of them, he went up on the mountain to pray. And when evening came, the boat was out on the sea, and he was alone on the land. And he saw that they were making headway, and circle the word, painfully, for the wind was against them. Now that's for all of you right now, that in your life circumstances, the wind is against you. You're struggling, you're painful, you're in conflict, you're saying, God, I don't understand why you're letting this happen to me. God, if you're so powerful, why don't you change this? And you're in the wind. And you don't even know if you're going to get capsized and drowned. And notice, Jesus left them there. And you don't like that. I don't like it either. But I'm learning when I'm there not to say why or what are you doing. I learned to say something else. We'll look at that at the end here. And about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea, and he meant to pass by them. But when they saw him walking on the sea, they thought it was a what? They didn't even recognize Jesus. You know why people call me every week? Because they're rowing against the wind. Their circumstances are bad. And they wonder where God is. They even wonder if God's even there. But they're counting on Pastor Phil to say, it's okay, he's there. See, that's double-minded, unstable. When you can't see God. When you complain about your situation because you don't see what God's doing, He's teaching you to rely upon Him. Notice, Jesus saw them, and He left them out there in their pain. We don't like that. See, read on. But immediately He spoke to them and said, Take heart. That's our word for courage. See, discourage is you've lost heart. It is I. You know why we lose heart? Because we don't see Jesus. That's a lifelong lesson. When you get discouraged the next time, I'll tell you, it's not because you've got a big problem. It's because you don't see Jesus. And God will give you enough problems just like He's given me enough problems. And He still gives me problems every day. And He wants me to keep learning that no matter how big the problem is, even if the tears come down my cheek, even if it hurts, I just am able to smile and say, my hope is built on nothing less, not His blessings, not my feelings, not my circumstances, but His unchanging grace. 
His unchanging word. And he got into the boat with them, and the wind ceased, and they were utterly astounded. For they did not understand about the loaves. See, here he's just delivered them from the sea, but they're still hung up because he made us leave that miracle. And look at their hearts. They were what? Say it again. Isn't that amazing? Their hearts were hardened. And we've said it often, men, in men's Bible study, we say the higher the level of conflict in any of our lives, the lower the, the, lower the level of truth we can handle. And that's why they couldn't handle much truth ever from Jesus, and He was full of grace and truth. See, some of you can say, well, I couldn't handle the truth that pastor gave this morning because he, was, he sounded more like a coach than a pastor. When he gets passionate, he gets worked up. So you can, you can live your life and you can blame that. It won't do you any good, but you can blame that. Jesus was full of perfect grace and truth. So that means He said everything perfectly right. But because their hearts were full of conflict, they never could receive it. Why did the Pharisees that knew more Old Testament than any of us memorized, why were they ready to kill Jesus from the very beginning when He was full of grace and truth? Because their lives were filled with so much conflict. That's why families in your marriage or with your children, when you ever know there's a whole lot of conflict going on, you cannot speak much truth. I'll say that again. Husband and wife, if you have conflict going on, it is not a time to speak a lot of perfect truth. It is time to just be tender and kind and loving and serving. Now, if you ask my sweet wife that, she'll say it's taken him 60 and a half years to learn that. Not quite. That's an exaggeration. But my wife and I are having the sweetest days of our lives. You know why? Because the four disciplines of grace. And you know what? We still do things that sometimes I say. We dated for two years before we got married, and we'll celebrate 40, and I'll say, who is that woman? I still do that at times. And she says, who is that man? Because, see, we haven't arrived, but this is what I know. When Ronnie does something that irritates me, or I don't like it, you know what? Before this tongue starts to go and speak truth, you know what the Spirit of God says? You know, right now in conflict, all it'll do is make her mad. Don't say something that'll make her mad. Go hold her hand. Say something kind. Say something sweet. Fold the clothes. Just serve. Are you tracking with me, sugars? See, you know the advantage of having an older pastor? I'm older than most of you by 20. You can learn from my mistakes. Several people in the first service that were in their 30s came up and said, Pastor, I sure hope I can learn these lessons before you did. I said, well, you know how you'll learn them? You'll learn them the same way I have. 
in my tears, in my trials, in my failures, in my struggles. By the way, I want you to know, none of you are learning this right now. You're hearing it right now. And you know how you're going to learn it? In your temptations, in your trials, in your tests. That's where you're going to learn it. You're going to learn it when you stumble and when you fall. And God's going to minister and say, remember those four disciplines? That's why we're memorizing. Teenagers, that's where you're going to learn them. You're going to learn them in peer pressure when mom and dad and pastor and Philip, no one's around there. And peer pressure's going to be there. And, and the Spirit of God's going to say, remember that discipline? The discipline that you belong to Jesus is what? You're of humility. You're going to obey God. You're going to go the way of the cross. You're going to deny yourself. Well, I want to be popular. I want to be accepted in the group. Well, I'm going to deny myself. And you know what? I'm going to persevere. Well, they talk about me. They say ugly things. I'm going to persevere. I'm going to abide under pressure. I'm going to be faithful. And I'm going to be single-minded. I'm going to keep my eyes on Jesus. They say, look over here, look over here, look over here. No, I'm going to keep my eyes on Jesus. See, that's when I learned it in college, when I didn't have one Christian friend. All my roommates got drunk and were immoral on pornography, smoked marijuana. God let me. See, I was rolling against the wind. I cried myself to bed nearly every night of my freshman year. God didn't take me out of that. He left me right in that hell hole. He let me see what sin would do to you. See, I was learning it, and I didn't even know how to write it down. It's denying yourself. It's obeying God. It's persevering. Philip talks to you about being a virgin. It's humbling yourself and obeying God. You're the temple of the Holy Spirit. You're denying yourself. You're not letting your flesh say, I want that. You're persevering. You're single-minded. Folks, I'm telling you, when you walk out this morning, you say, that message is good. I'll say it's better than good. It lives. Amen? It lives. That's why I go home, parents, and we say, this is how we're going to live. Now, just write in the other blanks. See, number two, what they saw. See, you don't want to see Jesus as a ghost. You want to see Him who He is. Unless we daily walk in these disciplines of grace, we will not understand what Jesus is doing, and we will be fearful. And number three, what they thought. See, unless we daily walk in these disciplines of grace, we will not understand what Jesus wants for us. That is, to know Him better than anything else, to be conformed to His image, and our hearts will be like the disciples hardened. Now we're going to transition from biblical disciplines to live out our vision statement comes biblical values. And remember, right above the word value, worth. See number one there, in our families, I'm going to speed up, in our families it is vital to be in agreement to what we value because whatever we value determines what we do. Now I promise you every couple every parent-child relationship. If you are living in conflict at home, it's because you've not established what your values will be. Now it's just a part of my practice. When people, couples come in and they're having conflict, I just say, well, sugars, I want you without saying anything, without telling me what's wrong with the other person, just write down the values for your marriage. 
110% of the time, they're not in agreement. They don't even know what their values are. For all of you young ones, you're dating high school and college students, I see. When you start dating a person, the first thing you should say to that other person, if you think you like them, what are your values? If they say, what do you mean? Run from them. See, at West County Community Church, number two, we have a God-wrought conviction that our values should be based on God's Word. Now, I want you to know, until I was 43 years old, actually 42, I had never had biblical values in the church that I'd pastored. I'd never been to a church, even before I started pastoring at 29, I started serving in churches as student pastor, and, and we called them back there minister of music because you not only led worship, but you taught choirs and you taught music. But I'd never been in a, in a church, and I'd serve that way in six different churches because as I would go through college and seminary, I would serve part-time. And I'd never seen a church with values. But because of what happened at the church I was pastoring before we came here, they were a people that were double-minded and unstable. That is, they said, we love God, But what they were doing wasn't matching because they didn't have any values. That is, if they felt like being ugly, they were ugly. If they felt like telling lies, they told lies. They didn't care what they did because they didn't have values. That's why when we started this church, I said, Father, lead me. We've got to establish why we do what we do. We're going to have biblical values. Now, turn the page. That's why we have these values. And see, our values flow right out of our vision statement, and they're lived out by those four disciplines. We're not going to read the vision statement again for time, but we're going to stand together because it says that next paragraph, we stand. And you're going to read the value. I will read the Scripture. Here we go. Let's stand together. This is how we're closing our service today. I want you to know what our values are. And then when you go home, if you're the head of the home, you need to say, we need to resolve what our values are here. Because whatever our values are, that's why we do what we do. Here we go. We stand and declare the core value for WCCC is Christ-likeness. Now just circle that one word. That's the only word I'll have you circle. But all of these values point for that. That is our foundation. We're to be conformed to the image of Christ. Christ captured in control. All right, let's keep reading. We believe this can be summarized by the following distinctives. Holiness. And why is that? Because the biblical principle is, for it is written... Be holy because I am holy. Second, stewardship. The biblical principle, moreover, it is required in stewards that a man be found faithful. Biblical. Our 
biblical principle. All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Compassion. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Number five, servanthood. Knowing... Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. Humility, knowing... And we urge you, brothers, warn those who are idle, encourage the timid, help the weak, be patient with everyone. Make sure that nobody pays back wrong for wrong, but always try to be patient with everyone. Make sure that nobody pays back wrong for wrong, but always try to be kind to each other and to everyone else. Be joyful always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Number seven, development. Not that I've already obtained all this or have already been made perfect, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, you got it? One thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Number eight, integrity. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. And number nine, leadership by example. But if anyone obeys his word, God's love is truly made complete in him. This is how we know we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must walk as Jesus did. And number 10, reproduction. Just as Jesus Christ.
Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. You may be seated. And I want you to write it in. Now, here's where we just take all of this and we put it in one statement. See, whatever comes in our lives, disappointments, they're guaranteed. Hurts, they're guaranteed. Losses, they're guaranteed. Disagreements, they're guaranteed. Unless you're killed in a car wreck today and you're healthy, disease, guaranteed. Death, guaranteed. Overwhelming challenges, guaranteed. Pressures, problems, guaranteed. But then just write over this word, resolved. Write over that word, resolved, humility. Write over that word, resolved, the way of the cross. Write over that word, resolved, perseverance. Write over that word, resolved, single-mindedness. That's what resolved is. Now, sweets, if you're not resolved, Your life will ever hear, but you'll be frustrated. You'll not know the joy of everything that God starts in you to live it out. See, write it in there. Resolve to live with values based on God's Word. We will not fall to, that is, we fall to living by feelings and circumstances. We don't want to do that. We live by the Word of God. And we will fail by living. And we don't want to fail. We're the Lord's. He paid everything that we could live in victory. Now, where we're going? Turn your page. Next week, during the week, I want you to read these every day of the week. Okay? Every day of the week, just read the covenant. Because these are our four operating principles. They're based on our values to live out our vision statement. And then next week, I'm going to give you the opportunity, if you're a covenant member, to renew your covenant. And say, you know what? I'm in that process. It's called fully. Wherever I am, I'm, I, I get it more today than I ever have before. I'm connecting the dots. And then for you that are not a member, I'm going to invite you to join a class with me the very next Sunday for the next four weeks. Right down in our new building, I'm going to teach life development. And Phil will be teaching the Word in both worship services. We, we do this every three months. And so for all of you that are new and you say, man, I need to have values. I need to live by the Word of God. I need this equipping and encouragement. Man, these people are really serious. Yes, we are. Why? Because Jesus paid it all. And in Him is victorious, triumphant life. And so I ask you, as you go out to the Welcome Center, sign up there. You'll see some clipboards. And that's how you become a member here. You go through those four classes. Now, we're finished here. We're going to pray. But just turn over to your Spotlight events. And you see, men, we're only two weeks away from Manly Night. And so I ask you, Brad Gilbert, just go ahead and get up, Brad, and go out. John Orff, go with him as his associate. And let's sell the rest of those tables out. We've sold about 300 uh, tickets, but we need to sell 200 more tickets. 
If you, uh, the tickets are $15. If you don't think you can afford that, you just come to me or, or you can just tell Brad, pastor's got mine. Now, if he says 200 men said pastor's got mine, I'll say you dirty birds. Uh, but seriously, you know what I mean. If you need a little help this year, I want you there. It's going to be an incredible program and it's going to be unlike anything we've ever done before. If you have lost friends, get them there. I promise you they'll love it. We have fun. Uh, ladies, I think we need about 10 more ladies. We use 50 ladies to sign up to serve. It's going to be at Marquette High School. And so if you can uh, go by, I think the sign-ups are at the Welcome Center. If they're not, just call Stacy during the week. I'm going to let you read the rest of the announcements. Are you good to go today? Have you got the four disciplines? You can't leave the room unless you say them. What's the first one? And what is that? Obedience. Second one? And that's what? Denying myself. Third one? Abiding faithfully under the pressure's life. Fourth one? Yeah. Single-mindedness. I want to please the Lord. And I can promise you, you won't have any regrets. People say, Pastor, why do you smile so much? Because humility, the way of the cross, perseverance, single-mindedness. Even when you get old and forget. You got it? Now go home and have some time with your family today and talk about these. And have a declaration. As for me and our household, here we are. I love you all, sugars. Let's stand up. Why don't you just take the hand of the person by you? See, we need each other to love and encourage and pray. Father, we just thank you today for your grace and goodness that we can live this out, Lord, to your honor, your glory. And, Lord, we're resolved. We're not just thinking about it. We're not praying about it. We're resolved. And you just tell him that right now in your heart if you're resolved. Father, I'm resolved. And we praise you for that abundant life that comes in that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless you all.